Hello, and welcome to another edition of Storytelling on Orchard Street. I'm your host, Pete Salamita. Uh, with me in the studio today, oh, by the way, we're in the broadcast uh, or the podcast studios of PT Knitwear Bookstore uh, 180 Orchard Street, which hence the name. But we have a, a terrific guy, a very talented writer, Ron Colm. He's a contributing editor of Sensitive Skin. Ron is the author of Divine Comedy, Suburban Ambush, Night Shift, A Change in the Weather, Welcome to the Barbecue, and Swimming in the Shallow End. He's had work in and then the Cafe Review, Gathering of the Tribes, Great Weather for Media, Ma- uh, Main Tenant, Live Mag, Local Knowledge, and New York City from the, uh, from the Inside, The Opiate the Poets of Queens Anthology, Public Illumination Magazine, The Red Wheelbarrow, The Riverside Poets Anthology, and The Silver Tongue Devils Anthology. Um, so, well, I, I, I said most of that. I left off Sparring with Beatnik Ghosts, Omnibus, and Brownstone Poets Anthologies. Ron's papers were purchased by the New York University Library, and welcome to the show, Ron. Right. Thank you so much, Pete. I'm really grateful to be here. And I'm grateful to P&T Knitwear. It's a terrific bookstore. Hopefully people will come by and buy books. Thank you. That was a perfect thing to say. <laughs> we do want to support their bookstore since they're kind enough to have the studio available. Um, so there's a lot to talk about. Um, before I get into to, to the writing, I'm just curious a little bit about your background, like where, where you're from, uh, you know, what, you know where you were raised and that kind of stuff. I think it's great to give the listeners a little background to the person. Sure, I'll go through that real quick. There was something else I wanted to mention that I should put in my bio, but once again, I've gone through a few too many years here. (laughs) Um, Really quickly, I basically... We're glad that you have. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here today. (laughs) Good point, good point. You said hitting wood. Um, No, I basically grew up in Pennsylvania. I went to college in Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, I did go through the 50s, a time of utter conformity in America, so I've gone through a period like what we sort of went through with Trump. Um, After I I went through Vietnam, I was a conscientious objector. I um, actually was a community organizer in Upper East Tennessee. Um, Then decided to come to New York because I was a writer. I was writing the whole time I was actually a community organizer. When would that have been when you came to New York? 69. Okay, so you've been here quite a long time. You've seen a lot seen a lot of changes uh, the decline in the 70s and uh, well but it was all it was all really interesting I mean it was fascinating to me it was one of those things where I came to try and get a regular job but because I'd been a community organizer I couldn't get a job so to pay the rent I was living in Hell's Kitchen which was cheap at that time right. as I was taking uh, shopping bags of books down to the Strand bookstore to get cash to pay the rent and Fred Bass, the son of the original owner, Benjamin Bass, offered me a job every time I went there. And I said, yeah, um, how much do you pay? $60 a week and you have to work Saturday. I said, no, no, no. And then I finally said, yes, thank right. you very much and took the job. And the strand started me on my bookstore thing. The other thing I wanted to mention quickly, and I really should have put it in the bio, is I was a member of a group of poets and writers called The Unbearables. And for years we did really, we have a whole series of anthologies from the radical publisher, Autonomedia. Um, we used I like to, that name, Unbearables. I know. <laughs> is well, that we, how you saw yourselves? Well, we, it comes from 
were, we were the unbearable beatniks of life. Okay. Because we used to go to the Life Cafe, which oh, I if you that. go to, well, is if it you still actually, there? I don't even it, know. what's still there is there is a cafe and it's called something else now. I still go there for drinks every now and again, but there's still out, you step on that first step that says Life Cafe. It still is there right. as you walk into okay. it. But we would, um, every uh, September, 13th, we would read erotic poetry on the Brooklyn Bridge to people as they went home from work. It was phenomenal. And until 9-11, and then the police basically told us we couldn't do it that year. And then the other thing we used to do is every December 7th, the New Yorkers' offices used to be on 42nd Street, and we would protest their crappy poetry. (laughs) We actually had picket signs, but I just did want to do a shout-out to the Unbearables. It was wonderful being a part. Is there any record of that? Or is there any... uh, like an anthology of the, the poets? Or we had a whole series of anthologies yeah. basically through Autonomedia. Um, the Unbearable Beatniks of Life, uh-huh. Self Help, the worst books I ever read. We did a number, there were like six anthologies. Huh. And the last, Any of them available at all? Well, through Autonomedia and online. And oh, the okay. last one is really a cool book that we put out. It was called Gathering of Tribes. And it was through Steve Cannon's Tribes. Um, there, there was just the Whitney Biennial. And Steve Cannon had a room, and the, the issue 15 of the Gathering of Tribes, which actually I helped edit, thank goodness, uh, was up on the wall. Um, I miss him terribly, but he has passed on. But he's a, he was wonderful. See, I, one thing um, I want to say is that I think you undersell yourself. Uh, you, sell, you sell yourself short. Because, um, you know, one thing I'm finding out is, uh, one thing I like about this program is uh, it's given a chance for poets such as yourself that have been doing it for a long time, also, you know, younger ones that are just beginning to, you know, because you have a voice. I mean, you've done this. You've been involved. You've seen how many poets have you seen read in in your day? Uh, Thousands probably. Probably can't even count. Well, once again, I'm really grateful because the Lower East Side, the East Village, was just such a wonderful place. There was the Sidewalk Cafe that was on 6th. I played there many times with, oh, uh, God, with one I, of my bands. <laughs> I loved it. There were yeah. so many great series about yeah. and and once And just to give a shout-out, the bartender there is a man named Wayne Crawl, and he does a poetry reading here right. at P&T Knitwear yep. every other he's Monday the, night. He's been on the—he was the, my first guest. Very <laughs> cool guy. I was yeah. so glad to know him, but right. once again, I used to hang out there all the time years ago but the east village was kind of different yeah explain the difference the to to pe- for people to get a well understand it was really it. interesting okay i'll try and make it kind of quick once again i i did all i saw all of this through bookstores once again i did the strand up to 75 i was at cbgb's the first night punk broke because i worked cool. with patty oh. smith and tom verlaine and richard wow. uh, no it's television. true it's true wow. i love that band yeah me too i love that band yeah. still i play the music all I, the time me too But then I worked from 75 to 80. I was on St. Mark's Place, and I saw the East Village burn. And I tell people about that now, that all those gardens on A, B, C, and over towards D were buildings that burned down and weren't rebuilt. That's great to know. Well, we would hear the trucks. We would hear the fire trucks. We'd go out and we'd see the flames and all that stuff. And I do readings there. Um, Linda Kleinbub. Um, and Philip Jombry do a series in the summer. Yeah, I've been which, there, yeah. Which tell was the, wonderful. Tell the uh, listeners about it, because maybe next summer they'll want to check it out. I think she calls <laughs> it Fahrenheit. And, yes. And you might remember the address better than me once it's again. It's a corner of 6 and B. Yeah. Yeah. It's a yeah. beautiful garden, and yeah. uh, I enjoyed being there. It's nice to read poetry out in the sun. <laughs> and a huge group of people. Yeah. And, and it's a, it, the, once again, talking about poetry, it is should be part of a community and in this particular time 
in American history and world history, building communities and taking care of each other and being kind to everyone, I think, is just so very important. I got to go back and ask you, who was your favorite band in the early CBGB days? Oh, well, it was television. Television. Oh, man, that was a great thing. Oh, sure. When yeah. I go to bars now, like sometimes I'll read, you know, at the Parkside for great weather for media. Right. And the bartender's a really nice guy. And I'll say, could you put on television? Right. And he puts on <laughs> Did you see Talking Heads in their early days? Oh, I did all that stuff. Oh, my stuff. God. Wow. I did all that stuff. <laughs> see, here's the thing. Like, again, that, that's why I like talking to, to you. And, and be, listen, no, there's no secret we're not on the younger side. Oh, no. I'm incredible. <laughs> but, but I think that, you know, you know, besides the, you know, the body parts that are breaking down and, and, else, and otherwise <laughs> the aches and pains that we have, we have to suffer, are we've lived life and had a lot yeah. of experiences and uh, you can't pay for that you know you can't buy that so um that's why i like to talk to you and, and a lot of the people that uh, that have met through this group because there's a lot of history a lot of new york city history and uh, that shouldn't go away and um, you, you've all been reading and writing uh poetry uh for a long time and you're very welcoming to younger people just getting started um, i think it's a very important thing Gotcha, yeah. gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, just then talking, if I could promote or just show a book. How about you promote something by reading something and tell a, a I'll list? Read, <laughs> this is my East Village book. Okay. Um, it's about a down-and-out couple. Like back in the day, people would be selling on the street. They'd be right. on 2nd Avenue. They'd be around the, the, the cube, the cube over, you know, near Astor Place that kids would spin around, that huge, huge cube. Right, right, sure, I remember so that. It disappeared I, for a while and then it came back. I know, and now you can't move it. People <laughs> oh. will go up there every now and again and oh, try and push. Oh, they must be push. so disappointed. <laughs> I know. I'll just read a quick story. But well, these, Tell, tell the, uh, the, the listeners the name of the book. Oh, the name of the book is Duke and Jill, and I, I really lucked out with this. I got all these stories were published in like between CD and various places right. back in the and day. And it's available where? Um... I actually don't know right now. Okay. My other books are available through through Posen Books and Chelsea Market. But um, actually, this Anything one online? is usually... Some, oh, yes. <laughs> there is a movie. If you go online and just type in Bad Karma, and it was a film directed by Jim Spring, and you'll see his name, and it says from a story by Ron Colm. Huh. And it's one of the stories from the book. The New Museum uh, actually archived it. So it's still there. You can actually go there and see. Oh, and at the very beginning, um, as they're walking by, there's a group of people in a circle, and Kim Gordon and Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth are standing there. Huh. Um, Kim what, Gordon, what year was this? Oh, God, I don't know. It was a long time right, ago, 90s too. Right, 90s or... Um, it don't matter. I, just I actually don't but remember. But back in the day, yeah. Back in the day. I think what we have to do is work on a Ron Colm website. Or something. <laughs> oh, God, I know. I've never really, I, I'm just happy. I've never done that. I have so many friends that right. have their websites. I just don't Okay, do so if you do a read-in, people can buy these books at the read-ins. Is that true? Oh, yeah. Well, okay. I, I definitely sold a whole stack of these on right. Saturday at the Tompkins Square awesome. Park okay. annual East, East, right. East Village. Well, let's Festival. hear a story from it. Well, really quickly, Duke and Jill. Duke and Jill do drugs. They live on the corner of Avenue A and 10th Street in a mostly burnt-out building. Duke is originally from Wisconsin. Jill is from Wisconsin, too. They don't have much else in common. Bad things keep happening to them. Their best friend, a junkie, rents a truck backs it up over the curb, kicks in their apartment door, and takes all their stuff. The TV, the stereo, even their beat-up sofa. He knows they'll be out getting loaded in the neighborhood bar trying to score some coke. In fact, 
They're waiting for him to show up with some reasonable blow. Duke is pissed. He buys a gun, a 38 caliber used, but still workable from a guy he knows on the street. Duke and Jill don't fight much the next couple of weeks. She doesn't trust him not to shoot her if the going gets too hot, so things chill out for a while. One night, Duke is sitting around getting loaded. In that condition, he hears a banging on the hastily repaired door. He gets his gun, tucks it into his belt, and opens the door, unbolting a newly installed double-bar police lock. The guy at the door turns out to be a friend, a member of a crypto-punk band he likes a lot. Wow, you got a gun, the friend says. Yeah, but it's not loaded, Duke replies. He points the gun at the ceiling and pulls the trigger. The hammer clicks. I just keep it around to scare Jill. Keep her in line, he laughs. Actually, I got it to blow away the scumbag who stole our stuff. If I ever see his ass in the neighborhood, he's gone. Man, let me see that thing, his friend says, excited by the unusual toy. He points the gun at a boarded-up window and pulls the trigger. The hammer clicks again. He giggles and aims the gun at his temple. Deer hunter, he says, and pulls the trigger. A bright flash of orange sound bounces around the nearly empty room, stunning Duke and momentarily blinding him. After the police leave, Joel calls all their friends to tell them the news. She has to shout to be heard above the sound of Duke vacuuming the dried blood off their oh, shag carpet. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. So it's, uh, it's a, a novel? Well, it's a series of stories that goes all the way through. Um, oh, but, it's, but it's all the same characters? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's all Duke and Are Jill. they based on uh, people you know? <laughs> yes. Are they, they are. are they still around today? <laughs> No, actually, oh God, I can't believe, I, sh- I sh- probably shouldn't, one of them is. Okay, All right, we, we, we won't uh, put you on the spot. No, I don't, <laughs> don't want to get you in trouble. I don't want to hurt anyone, I don't want to hurt anyone. Okay, I'm going to hold up the book so people can see it. And you can keep it, it's yours, I brought oh, it for you. I got a gift, cool, thanks. I'll sign it later, oh, well, take nice. the bookmark out of it, because I think it's a P&T Knitwear bookmark oh, okay. that I wanted to, th- you need a, you need... I wanted to throw in an archive. Oh, if it's not, oh, no, it's here, it you is. got it, okay. it's yours, and I'll sign it to you later, no problem. I loved it. Um, do you, so you, do you do mostly uh, short stories or, or, or novelettes? or? Actually, mostly poetry. Okay. I do have that other collection of short stories, um, um, Night Shift, right. which is the one I have done very well with in other stores. And then, but basically, I do poetry. Um, and what I brought were basically, what I've been writing recently okay. is poems on bookstores. Nice. Things that happen in bookstores. And it'll be a But book. you have a whole life of being in bookstores. Oh, yes, <laughs> I do. Oh, you want to tell me a little bit about that? Or? Well, I'll read the poems. Okay. If I could. Sure. Okay. This, was, this is called Size Matters. When I first moved to the Big Apple, I lived in Hell's Kitchen. I stopped by the Gotham Bookmart because I was broke and I asked if they were hiring. Sure, a manager replied, pointing to a small table with a typewriter surrounded by tall stacks of books. There was a tiny steel chair almost hidden beneath it. If you can fit, you got the job. I couldn't and didn't. Luckily, the Strand, a much larger store, eventually hired me, so I was able to remain a New Yorker. Awesome. So like that. I... So basically, you've devoted your life to, to writing, being around books, um, yeah. selling books. Um, did you study it, or you just fell into it, or you just always loved well, doing it? I, actually, I was talking with someone here earlier. My degrees are in history. Okay. Um, and, and does that history come out in, in your writing sometimes? Or? It does. What I've tried to write, oh, I'm going to probably go too far here. What I've tried to write about recently is how cruel men have been to other men and to women. And I've been trying to write poems you know, in support of women's rights right. and, and women 
hopefully things will go around. So I, there, there's problems in Iran. There's problems everywhere, and there's still problems in this country. So I've been trying. And there's a movement to make it go backwards in this country. It's true. That's so to true. Back to the, the 50s. Yeah, it's, right. it's just, so I've been write, trying to write poems about that. Right. Um, the bookstore poems, uh, I was, I've been working on the last couple years because there'll be a book of, you know, about them next year or whatever. So, so, uh, so you had the history, uh, studied history, and you work in bookstores and you write. But you also uh, lived through um, civil rights movements, oh, yeah. women's rights movements, yeah. uh, um, gay and lesbian rights movements, um, did that make its its way into your, into your writing? Not really specifically. Specific, okay. Right, 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 right. It's always been on my mind, and I've always tried my best to support those various movements. I think about it all the time, but once again, my poems are probably more the personal, and I, you know, so they would... Then, sure, that makes yeah. sense, yeah. Yeah. Actually, can I tell you, I, can I read one poem here? I just found out a really interesting <laughs> That's thing. That's what you're here for. Gotcha. I Talking found out, and reading. Well, and I listening. found out this interesting thing. <laughs> That's your job description for the, gotcha. for the, for the show. But I got to do this one because this was kind of fascinating. I just okay. found out. I just found out today. Okay, here we go. Um, this is called The Philosophy of Andy Warhol, From A to B and Back Again, and it is Andy Warhol's book. Okay. And I actually love reading it. I still have a copy sitting, you know, sitting on top of my bookcase at home. <clears throat> is it uh, his book, of The Diaries? or? Uh, it's the... actually good. just called that, The Philosophy of Andy Warhol, oh, From okay. A to B and Back Again. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty straight, it's right. straightforward prose. When I was working the cash register in Eastside Bookstore on St. Mark's Place in the mid-70s, one of my favorite books to read between sales was Andy Warhol's The Philosophy of Andy Warhol, From A to B and Back Again. He was from Pennsylvania, and I was too, so I liked him for that. When he got shot in the factory, I was totally shocked. I couldn't believe that anyone would try to hurt him. Anyway, one of my duties in the store was to take books and zines from neighborhood folks and sell them on consignment. They would eventually be paid for what's sold. One afternoon, a woman came into the store, glared at me, then slapped a small stack of books on the counter and said, we had to sell them. I picked up a copy. It was the Scum Manifesto by Valerie Solanas, who is now staring at me intently. I knew she was the person who shot Andy Warhol from watching the news on TV. Oh, man. Um, sure, we'll try to sell it, I told her nervously and gave her a receipt. She spun around and left the store. I put her books on a rack, mentally apologized to Andy Warhol, and breathed a sigh of relief. But just quickly, when I got here today, I mentioned that to the woman working the cash register uh-huh. out there, and she said, you know, the Scum Manifesto just got reissued. Wow. She took me over to the wall, nice. pulled out a copy. <laughs> it was really fascinating. Wow. And the introduction to this reissued copy, is Verso, I think, is the name of the publisher that put it out, and they're really cool. They do, you know, fairly liberal radical books. But the introduction explains all of this. It explains where Andy got shot, that he almost died, and all the rest of it. Sure. So it's it's really worthwhile yeah, it was checking it out. Fam. Yeah, it took yeah. him a long time to, to recuperate. Yeah, yeah. So all those years working in bookstores and uh, in, in, in New York City, um, mostly on the east side, is that true? Or a village or, you know? Well, it, it really, yeah, mostly East Village because I did East Side Bookstore. And then when that closed, there was a brief while where I worked at a bookstore. I was the manager of a place called New Morning at 169 Spring Street. 
And it was kind of fascinating. Um, the bookstore was owned by High Times magazine. Wow, okay. So I had to go up to their office to get checks signed to publishers, and people would be rolling on. I was going to ask you if you got stoned just walking in there. <laughs> yes. Well, you had to deal with people who'd be rolling around the floor, right. like cradling, you know, canisters of nitrous oxide <laughs> and all that stuff, and saying, please, can you write some checks for me? Um, I actually, I, I, wrote poem, I wrote a poem about that, too. Um, I want to ask you. Uh, Go ahead. You must have seen famous people in, coming into the bookstores, <laughs> as many as for all oh, that, uh, history. Oh, yeah. Like, who's yeah. your favorite celebrity that you got to meet in a in a bookstore? Oh well, that's okay. I was actually talking with her earlier about this too because it was really interesting. I, I guess most of the sort of really famous people, if you want to put it that way, that I met, I met at Coliseum Books on Fifty Seventh Street. It, it, when it was there, it was one of the best bookstores in the city. Um, so, um, oh God, I, I, I met um, Norman Mailer. He would come by with Norris Church, this very, very tall uh-huh. <laughs> compadre. I and mean, we'd try and get him to sign books and he'd growl and grumble oh, okay. at us and yell at us, but right. he would sign them eventually. Right. But the guy who was really fascinating was Philip Roth. And I would let him go up behind the cash register. The building is still there that the bookstore was in. It's on the corner of Broadway and 57th Street. Was it now a drugstore or something? A CVS? No, it is. No, it's not, which would, that would have been good. Right. No, it's not. I, I did go by it recently, and I can't remember what it is now. But there was the cash registers, as you came in, they were on the right against the wall. And there was a huge window behind the cash registers, and the sun would just come beaming in. And I let Philip Roth go up there behind the registers, and the sun seemed to create a halo around his head. I looked up at him, and it was just this most beautiful image. I assume you didn't have a, a, a smartphone. <laughs> there weren't. There, I hear you. You could have I taken a picture. You. It sounds like I it would have been you. a great picture. Oh, it was stunning. And then years later, I wrote a story where I started off. I might even. Actually, I have a piece of prose about that, about people who came in that bookstore. I could do that real quick if sure. you want. We have time. This actually, um, I know I threw it in here. I'm not so while you're looking for that, um, okay. um, I think we had a brief uh, text conversation about this, but um, you know, I put a book out um, called Bitter Pill, Two Shots and a Piece of Cake. Wonderful book. And it turns out uh, my friend who lives in Iowa that edited the book knows you. It's like this is that was, how it goes, right? Uh, Dana, what was uh, it? Rich Dana. Rich Dana, yeah. right, 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 right. Do you want to read a poem? Read a poem from it. Please uh, do. Please do. Okay. Please do. I was. I brought one to read. That's actually not in the book. It's in, well, it'll be in my, read might be in my next. Read book. a poem. You're a terrific poet. Well, thank you. So I, um, I, I watch a lot of documentaries, especially music, and um, a lot of times it inspires me to uh, write a story or, or a story. I call mine uh, story poems, uh, and this one was about. Um, I think it was done in '79, and it was about the flop houses on the Bowery. And in, um, even at, the, at that time, there were still quite a few left, although a um, number of them had closed by then. And um, the, doc- the documentary got real personal. Uh, the, 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 um, I forgot the name of the, the person that did the documentary, but it got real um, close and personal with the people that were living there. It painted a real, like, real nice portraits of, of them in their lives and how they wound up there, and that influenced me to write this. It's called It's Okay. Um, and it was Sunshine Hotel was the name of the... Um, the f- of the flop house. Yeah. Uh, for listeners, a flop house is uh, it's, like, it's 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 um, it's not a shelter where all the beds are in one open area. You get a, a, like a four by six room, and a lot of those people live there for you know long stretches in that in that small room. 
Goodbye, there's nothing left to say. I've spent too much time trying to run away from my past and myself, from the shit that life puts in your way. I run fast going nowhere till I find myself face up trying to avoid the crosshairs. Wondering how this flophouse became my place to lay my head amongst the dirt, grime, and cockroaches. Who the fuck was I before I ended in this place? Amongst the anguish and crazy of knowing what it's like to give up and accept your fate. I'm a failed man who drank away his pain and a chance at anything that matters. That ties you to more than just being alive day to day. I bum a cigarette from a well-dressed square who avoids my eyes in case there's something there. The Bowery ain't a home unless you're desperate in some kind of way. The junkies, the drunks and misfits, them all that are not there. I check off a box or two, so who am I to cast aspersions? If anyone would care. I'm filthy and worn out without hope, but I can deal. It's okay. Oh, that's great. Thanks. Great, great, great. Oh, terrific, terrific. Your rhymes are terrific, too, by the way. Oh, they cool. really work well. <laughs> I don't always rhyme, but uh, no, I try but to. it works there. It <laughs> yeah. works there. It I, really at least works I try well. to get a, a few. So um, what were you oh, uh, Actually, looking at the story? Skip you that one. I'll, I'll do this real quick. I'll do this one. This is called... It's pra- nice to have somebody to choose from. <laughs> oh, trust right. me. I, I wish. Maybe you should have your own <laughs> podcast and just read all your stories. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, no. That'd okay. be boring. Well, go ahead, but this Ron. is a piece, and then I'll go back, and then I'll actually. Let me do a poem because this fits more with what you just read. I'll read that story somewhere along, but this fits more with what you just read. Okay, I like that. Okay. This is called Classical Music Lover. I was sitting behind the cash register in Eastside Bookstore on a warm summer afternoon in June, 1976. The evening junkie group nod hadn't started yet, but they would eventually shuffle in one after another and assume their usual positions in front of the poetry section where they would lean slowly forwards and then backwards. So far you'd think they'd fall, but they never did, defying gravity for hours until the end of the night. When I had to close, I would gently tell them, you really do have to leave now, but I never touched them because I learned from bitter experience how badly it freaked them out. They'd scream and wave their arms around, knocking books off the shelves, and I'd have to beat a retreat back to the register. Anyway, I was listening to the Velvet Underground. My favorite band at the time turned up real loud on the stereo when a grizzled gentleman stepped into my field of vision, glared at me, then snapped, turn that shit off and play some decent classical music. I almost said fuck you, but I recognized him. It was Charles Bukowski. Oh, wow. (laughs) Probably in town for a reading. I like this music, and I'm not taking it off, I said, expecting an angry reply. But he surprised me instead by apologizing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, he muttered, turning on his heels and leaving the store. To this day, I say everything three times a la Bukowski, and I wish I told him how much I liked his novel Post Office, which I've read at least three times. That's great. I do love that book, too. Uh, is, that, is, that based, is that true? That oh, he yeah. He was store? only in New York once, right. and he was to do a reading at the Poetry Did Project. Did you go to the reading? No. I wasn't part of <laughs> Well, I, once again, I was working at a bookstore. Right, right. So you, you didn't have <laughs> so a lot of free time. Like, they didn't give you off for no. stuff like that right. back in the day. You yeah. hung under the job for dear life. Right. For dear life. You know, it's funny. You mentioned uh, Bukowski, um, a post office. And then uh, there was the Henry Miller book about um, uh, working as a messenger. Yes. What's funny is I worked in a parks department uh, on Long Island. And I, uh, I, I sketched out... Uh, a four-act uh, play 
based on my experiences that because they're every bit like the experiences that those guys had gotcha the the the, the people that work there in the in the parks department that you know the, they were called lifers you know because they worked oh. f- and, and it just changed their like i think i was going to school so i knew i was going to find my way out of it but i think when you have that kind of a job like the post office or other jobs for a long time i think it eats away at your <laughs> your dreams and ambitions. Well, it does. It's like it's, it was the COVID of the day, in a sense. Yeah. Everything kind of is 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 in, is still is is just slowed down. It, I tried. To, I t- took the post office test, but there were so many people that took it back in the day that that's when I, I started working at the Strand because the post office never came through. You know, um, you can make but, a living doing it, and you have benefits, and you retire uh, young. But do you think you could have handled that job for? No, uh, but <laughs> whenever I pass a mailman yeah. now, I genuinely, I, and I, I mean this sincerely, I always say, I salute you totally. Right. What you're doing is great. Although I think working outside as a mailman is better than working in in the in the uh, in the actual uh, office branches. You know? Because you had to learn the zip codes. You had yeah. to learn that whole thing. Right. Oh, oh, because you had to throw the mail. They called it tossing the mail back in the day. Yeah. Oh, shit. And, and have you ever met a pleasant uh, clerk no. in a post office? No, no, no. Yeah. Well, yeah, actually, but see, I always try and make friends with the people I deal with. And because I do write books, right. I sell them, you know, and, and I go to the post office sometimes with a whole stack of books. Oh, I should mention, God, I hadn't even thought, I wasn't even thinking about this. Um the, the thing that uh, Rick Lupert does out in California, the, the poetry, oh, he has this really great show that's, that's on Sundays, and you can submit to him. Huh, okay. Oh, poetry Highline, poetry. It's on the radio? or It's, it's on the computer. Okay, okay. It's, it's on, online. It's online. Right. It's online. So um, am I wrong in poetry saying that? Poetry Superhighway. It's called the Poetry Superhighway, which I is get, terrific. I get the sense that music is uh, a big deal in your life, too, that comes out in, in a lot of your poetry. Oh, Poetry. totally. If I can do a quick plug, uh, I've got two sons whom I love, uh, Daniel and Gregory, and they're in a really cool band. Together? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Gregory, the youngest, is the drummer. Danny is the one who writes the lyrics and all that stuff. <clears throat> um, they were just starting to make it really big in this neighborhood right, right as COVID broke. They ah, played Arlene's Grocery. Okay. They played the Pianos right. Bar and all that right. stuff. The name of the band is Arclight, A-R-K-L-I-G-H-T. And if you get a chance to like go online. what style? It's call it post punk, if okay, you will. Right. Post punk slash new. Well, age, we'll so. keep you'll keep me posted um, at some point if they're playing out. You they can let have, me know when they're right. Playing. Oh, they have a brand new cassette that cool. they should have almost have picked up. Actual now. cassette. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, it's look. Everything's gone back to the old days in some ways. Do you Vinyl's, remember the label Roar? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I worked oh, yeah. for a year and a half for a record distributor, and we used to sell their cassettes. I knew the guy. Um, oh God, what's his name? The 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 it was Neil Bateman isn't that his name? I know the name. Oh yeah. God, I know. I know they the put name. out great stuff. Right, like right, like rare right. rare. Um, it was only cassette, no e- no vinyl, and even when CDs came out, not on CD, just cassettes. I still have like thirty of them in my There's house. There's still a record store nearby with that that buys vinyl and sells vinyl on Sixth Street, I think, between First and A. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. On I've the seen north that. Side and yeah, Six. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I when I was young. Um, you, you know, obviously, you couldn't really get music, you know, any other way. But to buy it, you might hear some songs on the records, but you know, there was no streaming, of course, no YouTube or anything like that. Um, and I was, to me, like as soon as I got paid, I went to the record store. And you know, I, I moved into the city in '79, and I loved the the energy of the city and the, the record stores, JNR music, and uh, JNR music. Yeah. Oh, they were great. They right. were great. Of course, Tower Records. 
Tower. Which is actually making a comeback, but I think it's just online. Oh, that's I, great. I, don't I know. didn't I, know that. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. They're making a comeback. I don't know if they're going to open a store. So we don't have a whole lot of time well, left. You want, you want to follow a... Uh, uh, do your, you know, something do that you haven't done yet. Quick piece of prose. It's called Privates. A long time ago when things were much cheaper, I used to go to clubs and hear a lot of music. One of the clubs I went to was called Privates on 85th Street on the Upper East Side. At one time it had been a private school, but that had closed and it was now a cool place to see bands and hear readings. Because of my bookstore connections, I got invited to an exclusive William Burroughs event that was scheduled to take place in that venue. At that time I was managing New Morning, a bookstore in Soho named after the Bob Dylan album was owned by High Times Magazine, and for that reason, it was considered hip. We made sure we always had a complete run of William Burroughs' books in stock. His work, published by Grove Press, was very popular, so I was thrilled at getting the chance to see him, a writer I admire. I got there just as Burroughs was making his grand entrance, and to this day, that scene lives vividly in my mind. He came in with an entourage, an army of very young men, all of them about the same height, and all very well-dressed. They crowded around Bill, which seemed to raise him up till his feet barely touched the floor. There was a humming sound emanating from them as they passed by. It was like the buzzing of a cluster of worker bees carrying the queen to her throne in the hive. They escorted him to what looked like a gazebo, a small round structure in the middle of the hall, and then the celebration ensued. I got loaded, and the rest of that evening is just a blur. Awesome. So, you know, you did meet a lot of people, and, and uh, you know, I don't know if, Burroughs and Bukowski would be, um, you know, then they certainly weren't mainstream writers, but anybody who, who loves uh, poetry or, you know, is going to know who they are, Burroughs was a very interesting oh, character yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, so time went pretty fast. Um, you know, you've got a wealth of stories. This is called Storytelling on Orchard Street. And part of the reason why I named it that, Orchard Street, because that's where we are. And storytelling, because I wanted it to be, you know, not just poetry. I wanted it, that would open it up. I've had a musician on. I've had, you know, uh, sto- uh, somebody who, who's actually a storyteller <laughs> um, goes to storytelling events. Um, and, you know, to me, musicians are storytellers, you know. So uh, I might have a friend on the, uh, next year who's a, a, play, a young uh, budding playwright. Uh, you have a ton of stories. I have a feeling we could have done a couple hours just sitting here talking. Um, so, but this was wonderful, and I get to tell you again how much I enjoyed hearing your poem. Oh, cool! Thanks. And your book. Hold your book up. Okay. <laughs> and get people to buy your book. It's yeah. a terrific book. Absolutely. Bitter Absolutely. pill, two shots, Bitter and a pill, piece of you cake. You got it. You got it. I have a second one in the can. I'm, I'm going to re- release it sometime next good, year. Good. My dream can is. Can they buy your book online? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Good. It's good, in good. a bookstore in the East Village, but I forget the name of it. A friend of mine brought it there for me. That and East Village, but that little one that's between First and A? I think so. It's on the north side of the street. I, yeah, I haven't been there yet. I think it's called East Side Bookstore or something yeah, like might that. Yeah, that might be. Books. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, you go down two steps, and it's very narrow, and you go yeah. by the bins. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's a community bookstore in, in Park Slope. My dream is uh, at some point next year, I'm working on the poetry, my poetry with music. With music. So I just did a gig with... Uh, spoken word and, and uh, fellow musicians. Oh, cool. I was a drummer uh, 40 years plus. I did gig, you know, gigged all, all over. But that's why I love what I'm doing now. I, I also did broadcasting when I was younger. I love the poetry because as a drummer, I was always playing somebody else's music and it was always way in the back, <laughs> you know? So um, now I get to be up at the mic and it's my thing. It's my story. And 
I don't have to carry any equipment. <laughs> Just a, like a folder, you know? Because I was a drummer, a, a DJ. And that's mo- a lot of equipment. Yeah, a mobile, a mobile DJ and a caterer. Oh. So I've spent my life packing cars. <laughs> Boy. Now I can just walk with a, uh, a loose leaf binder or something. Uh, so, Ron, I, again, I want to thank you so much for being a great Could I guest. Do that you want to? Yeah, tiny, sure. tiny little poem because I did garbage too. I actually broke a finger doing garbage. This is just the last poem I okay, wanted to cool. read. It's, it's called, It Takes a Pandemic to End a 50-Year Career of Working in New York City's Independent Bookstores, which included The Strand, Eastside Books, New Morning Coliseum Books, St. Mark's Bookshop, and Poseman Books, which closed on March 16th due to the virus. The last book I sold there was Camus, The Plague. Nice. Well, I was supposed to. I was supposed to have you read that in the beginning, but we got we went in a different direction. Better way to sum it up. <laughs> a perfect way. You've been an awesome guest. I'm really glad I got a chance to talk to you, um, Ron Colm, Thank you so much for being a part of storytelling on Orchard Street. Um, next year, maybe we'll do a, a part two to this. <laughs> you have a lot of great stories to tell. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Um, We've had a great time. And uh, until the next episode, bye-bye.